Hey friends, want to let you know that I have a book coming out in March of 2024. It's called Exiles, The Church in the Shadow of Empire. If you've been listening to me for more than like five seconds, you've probably heard me use the phrase uh, exile or, you know, that we are exiles living in Babylon. And, you know, that's something I've said for many years. And so this book is kind of the culmination of my thinking through the question, what is a biblical theology of a Christian political identity. So this book uh, does just that. It looks at how the people of God throughout scripture navigated the relationship with the various nations and empires that they were living under uh, in order to cultivate a framework for how Christians today should view their relationship with whatever uh, state or empire that they are living under. So I invite you to check it out. It's available for pre-order now. Again, the name is Exiles, The Church in the Shadow of Empire. Check it out. Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology and Around. My guest today is Darren Whitehead, who is the founding pastor and leader of Church of the City in Franklin, Tennessee. He's also the author of the recent book, The Digital Fast, 40 Days to Detox Your Mind and Reclaim What Matters Most. Uh, Darren is a pastor of a very large church. He is a megachurch pastor, and last year he um, helped helped lead his church into a 40 day <laughs> digital fast. I'm laughing because I'm like, how do you get thousands of people in a mega church to stay off their phones for, uh, 40 days. And uh, he wrote a book kind of documenting this. He also has, uh, created a website called, uh, the digital If you are a church leader or just anybody who wants to, um, learn more about how to do this, I would encourage you to check out the digital and his book, the digital fast. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's what we talk about. We talk about physical fasting from food early on in this conversation. And then we talk about how in the world he was able to pull this off and all the many benefits that came from staying off of our phones. So please welcome back to the show, the one and only Dr. Darren Whitehead. Darren, thanks so much for coming back on Theology Nara. Super honored and excited to talk to you again. Thanks for having me, my friend. I always love hanging yeah, out. Yeah, I was just with the, uh, your uh, your brother, uh, John Tyson, the other day in uh, New, York, New York City. And... Uh, you probably get this a lot. Like when I talk to you guys, you guys are so similar. Just like obviously, that's not just the accents, but like your 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 ministry style and stuff that energizes you. And well, he and I, he and I have been best friends for thirty five years, thirty four years, and neither of us thought that we'd move to America mm-hmm. or become pastors. Or yeah. so you know, there's there's an old idiom that says. Uh, you can make new friends, but you can't make old oh. friends. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been in my life for, you know, about 60% of my entire life. And so, uh, uh, we've just been through so many eras. I mean, I, I've known him since before he was a Christian. Yeah. Oh, really? So, before, wait, did you, were, were you oh, a Christian yeah. before him? I was, I was. And, uh, we met in high school Okay. and uh, we met at a Christian camp and his, he had like a road to Damascus kind of experience. I mean, mm. he was a kid that got in trouble and, um, you know, he was funny. It's like a funny, <laughs> silly teenager. I want to know, I want to know pre-Christian uh, John Tyson. That's what I want. <laughs> oh man. He, it, 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 like he, just, I mean, he wasn't serious. Like, like he's got such a serious part of his personality now. And, uh, he, he was, he was always in a, a different fad. Like I, I called him fad boy. Like he was into surfing until he wasn't. And then he was into Jean-Claude Van Damme and he was into kickboxing and he would wake up early every morning at 6am to get his splits until he, until he was able to do his splits. This is like 15 year old John. And he, he managed to be able to do the, the splits and he was really? just like Jean-Claude Van Damme. So he's always, he was just a, he had a different fad. So it's basketball and skateboarding yeah. and and all of this. Yeah. So whatever he does, he's all in. He, he goes goes full board. That makes that he makes is, sense. He yeah. is all all in. And when Jesus gripped his heart at uh, I think he was sixteen or seventeen, I mean he's been all in ever since. Honestly, like the intensity, like since he became a Christian, the intensity yeah. that he yeah. has, the kingdom endeavors is yeah. is really it's very uh, real distinctive of his. You guys are both crushing it in ministry. I mean. <laughs> I mean, for him, for him to be that long in New York City is pretty remarkable. And the stuff that he's doing, and then you're in a very different context, yeah. but turn, doing things that are yeah. just, 
equally remarkable. Well, I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's the segue, I guess, into what we're going to talk about. I mean, so you, you pastor, what would be called, you know, mega church, um, didn't plan on doing that. As you know, I don't know if people remember the last time I had you on, you told your story about how you just kind of fell into this kind of massive church that you're pastoring. Um, but you, you're you're doing things in this congregation that most mega church pastors wouldn't dare to do because it's not easy to get people on board with something like a forty day digital fast. Um, and you've done other lengthy. You just came out of a three week eating fast as a church where thousands of people are yeah. doing saying no to something that is not easy to say no to. Let, let's go back to the digital fast. Where did this? What what where would take us to the initial moment when you're like, I think I want to take seriously, you know, be more disciplined with our all these distractions we have in our pocket. Yeah, well, I, I think you know, the iPhone was invented in 2007. Uh it was in June, and I actually bought one on the day that it that, that it was released. Um, I, I mean I didn't camp out the front of the Apple store, I'm not that guy, but I, I did go because I wanted to hold one. And, uh, and so, you know, me and my iPhone have been almost inseparable ever since, uh, 17 <laughs> years later. And, um, I think that there is a collective consciousness. Uh, certainly I feel this with myself that this, this digital technology has seeped its way into our lives. It didn't begin like this. It, there wasn't social media on your phone when you first got a smartphone. But it is it has become more and more insidious, and we've become more and more attached. And now it's not even surprising to to go stand in line at Starbucks, and every single person is on their phone, and every single person in the store is staring at their phone. That's not even surprising anymore. You know, it's just normal. And and somehow we have just accepted this this uh, addiction to these little devices as as somewhat normal. And so I was having lunch with a friend and he was telling me that uh, he was about to start seeing a family therapist with his entire family. And then he said, this family therapist would not even meet with us until we did a 30 day blackout, no screens for 30 wow. days. And so he had two young kids and, uh, and he was about two weeks into it. And I said, how's it going? And he goes, honestly, unbelievable. Like my kids are better behaved. They're, you know, much more attentive They're they're outside playing, you know, like, and, and this therapist was kind of like, if you do 30 days off screens before we start meeting, uh, a lot of the problems might be solved. Oh, certainly you're able to engage a whole lot more as a family. So I was listening to this and we were getting ready to start a 21 day um, fast prayer and fasting in our, in our church. And and I really started to think about adding a digital detox, digital fast kind of component to it. But I, I honestly thought they're two different ideas. They're two different things. Fasting, biblical fasting, it's probably the most neglected spiritual practice in our modern, in our modern day, right? No one wants to fast. It's uncomfortable. It's, you know, you get hangry and irritable and, and yet, you know, the Bible says in Mark 9 that, there are some things that will only happen through prayer and fasting when Jesus delivered the, 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 the demon from that little boy. And the disciples are like, how come we couldn't cast it out? And Jesus said, some of these things can only happen through prayer and fasting. So that means that, that prayer and fasting unlocks some things that wouldn't ordinarily be unlocked or wouldn't any other way be unlocked. So going into a season of fasting as a church, I did not want to say, hey, uh, we're going to do a digital fast and we're going to do a food fast. Because some people would choose one or the other, and I really wanted people to to begin the year by by having a a biblical New Testament fast, you know, like what Jesus did forty days before commencing his ministry. So I I wanted to separate the ideas, but they both seemed valid to me, and um, and so what I did with the church is I said uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start teaching on this. I'm gonna start really showing how the enemy is using these devices in our lives. You know, uh, John 10, 10, you know, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. And I think that the enemy is using smartphones to steal our time, 
destroy our peace and kill our relationships <laughs> with one another. It's like a pretty good strategy of the enemy, right? And somehow sort of seems obvious. It's like in plain sight, you know? And, uh, and so anyway, I did several messages talking about the impact of technology. I used, you know, neuroscience. I used scripture. And I used uh, the most persuasive ideas I could possibly come up with and uh, invited our church to do it together. You know, social scientists call this a collective action problem. And this is the idea that uh, everyone, everyone kind of knows that, 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 that the social media and digital devices are having a detrimental impact on our mental health. And yet no one wants to step back from them because they're afraid they're going to get left out. It's fear of missing out. It's FOMO. You know, These devices have become the doorway to our relational world. And, you know, they don't want to get off social media or forget someone's birthday or I'll, you know, miss out on scrolling cat videos or something, you know. And so, and so no one wants to do it. What's interesting is that to address a collective action problem, you can do it with collective action, like a large group of people doing it together. So you can do a digital fast by yourself, but you're kind of the only one that's getting left out, right? If you do a digital fast with your family, or with your small group, or with your entire church, then it's sort of like your friend group is doing it as well. You like experience the whole thing together as a community, and it's actually a lot easier to do. So it's a little, as you said, so yeah, if it, yeah, if all your friends are fasting too, then you're not, by definition, you're not, yeah, you just shouldn't have much FOMO, other than that kind of doom scrolling on, on X or... Instagram or whatever. I mean, there's those kind of distract, distracting things, I guess. So, so can you tell us exactly? Cause when I hear a digital fast, part of me is like, okay, there's several things I could probably go without, but there's other things that I just, the nature of my job, the nature of my life. Like when I'm traveling, I'd use my Delta app and I, you know, get in my rental car and I need my Google maps, you know, like there's, there's several things on my phone that for good or for ill, I'm not going to bring some paper map with me to Dallas, Texas to figure out how to get to the church I'm supposed to be at, you know? Um, so what, what was yeah. the nature of the digital fast that you, that you orchestrated? Yeah. So that's a great question. And this is where the, the real key principles come in. You need to look at the apps on your phone through the lens of distraction versus utility. So all of the apps either serve as a distraction. So think uh, social media, news, games, uh, email, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazon, you know, like shopping apps, uh, YouTube. Anything where you find yourself getting just sucked into a wormhole of distraction. Get all of that off of your phone and turn your phone into a utility device. So when you're flying Delta, you don't open your Delta app and then spend the next 45 <laughs> minutes doom scrolling on Delta app, you know? You're not playing with your calculator, you know? You, uh, you don't doom scroll on your Chipotle ordering app, you know? Like, like all of these apps are utility apps, and they're not apps that end up sucking your time and attention. They end up being ways of, of, of facilitating your life. Mm -hmm. uh, so many uh, devices, so many pieces of technology, so much of our, our legitimate interaction is using a smartphone. So we want to get your smartphone back to being a place where you make phone calls, you send text messages, and um, you know, use it as a camera, use it as a flashlight, use it as a calculator. Like all of these things, you've you got to get the distraction stuff off, reduce it back to a utility device. And then what happens is when you are mindlessly grabbing your phone to unlock it, to start doom scrolling on something, you're going to realize that there's nothing cool to be looking at. And then you just put it down again. That's what I mean by a digital file. So it's not, it's not even computer screens. It's specifically smartphones, distracting apps on smartphones. That was the fact. Yeah. I mean, I would certainly encourage people to, you know, sort of the, 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 the main things I, I encourage people to do. First of all, turn off all notifications. So these are the things that are constantly interrupting your day. Turn off all, all notifications except for your phone ringing. And maybe if you want to be interrupted with texts, but you can also turn those off yeah. as well, right? So uh, the second thing is 
don't have your phone sleep in your room next to you, right? So, so many people, most people, the last thing that they look at before they roll over and go to sleep and the first thing they reach for in the morning is their phone. And you think about what that's doing as you're starting your day. You know, you, you unlock your phone and you see you've got six emails. And so you hit on that. You're barely awake and you're already having a rush of responding to emails and things that are going on. Um, so don't have your phone by your bed. Now, everyone says, everyone says, well, I use my phone as my alarm clock. And so I would challenge Get you to try to solve this very complicated problem by an alarm clock. <laughs> or at least or at least have your phone out of reach. If you still want to use it, have it out of reach, right? Or, or have it in a room that's next to your bedroom or, or, or whatever, right? So I, I would say that the next thing is you make your smartphone dumb, which is what I talked about. Take uh, distraction versus utility. And then basically anything that you can do on a computer screen, try to move it to that. You see, the problem is the, the, the frequency that we have. You know, the number of us who when we pull up at the stoplights while we're driving, <laughs> we reach for our phone and start just scrolling, mm. right? If you don't have that on your phone, you won't do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the problem from my vantage point is if you want to go on Facebook on your laptop or your desktop, or you want to go on Instagram, it's unlikely that you're going to burn hours and hours and hours in that context. It is you, you, you burn all this time because it's with you all the time. And so I'm definitely encouraging people to get all that stuff off of their phone. If Certainly, some people uh, are on social media for their jobs, you know, and and part of how they 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 spread their word about meaningful ideas or is is using social media. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but there is a difference between contributing content and consuming content. And I think that the way that you consume content, if you have it on your your phone, is it's it's very difficult to regulate the amount of time that you spend on it, if it is available to you absolutely all the time. The, so I think that the best first step is to do a digital fast and then evaluate what you want to come back after the digital fast. We, we, in the book, I talk about uh, Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo uh, has got this whole idea of, um, of, of simplifying your life and cleaning out your closet. And, and, and she has this idiom where if you pick up a, a piece of clothing and you ask, does this spark joy in me? And if it doesn't, you throw it out. And if it does, you keep it. Well, I'm suggesting you do the same thing with the apps on your phone. After 40 days of getting your head clear, of removing all of the visual junk food from your life, then ask yourself the question, do I want Instagram back on my phone? And for me, the answer has been really? no. I have actually permanently remove social media from my phone. It doesn't mean I'm not active uh, at different times on social media. I just not on my phone. It's just, it's just not good to have that access all the time. How do you upload a, a, if you do post something on Instagram, do you do it on your computer? Or? You can do it on your computer. You can do it on a, uh, you can have a designated uh, iPad. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Uh, as, as another option. Or, or there are times where I will put it on my phone, post something and then delete it off my phone. Oh really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Why not just keep it and be and just say I'm not going to look at it, or is it just it's too tempting? It's just easier to keep it off there. Well, everyone's got to come up with that themselves, right? So I I have found that if I have distraction apps on my phone, I am not as good dad, not as yeah. good a husband. I am I am more likely to numb myself with this device, and and what I mean is. Generally, if we have an unpleasant feeling, I feel ashamed of myself for something. I feel anxious about something. I feel afraid. I feel like a lot of stress about a certain situation that I've got to handle. That's an unpleasant feeling. If I've got a device where I can distract myself, then, then I generally, rather than feel that unpleasant feeling, 
I'm going to look at something that is going to numb my brain from that pain. And, and, and that's how generally people are using these devices. And so we end up being less aware of how we're really doing, let alone the fact that we're not asking the spirit of God to speak to us in this moment. We're looking at trivial things. We're filling our heads with clutter. It's 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 like eating a bunch of visual candy, you know. And 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 what happens when when you eat a bunch of junk food? It it temporarily satisfies your hunger, but at the end of it, you're kind of like, "What am I doing with my life?" You kind of feel shame. <laughs> you, you you know, and and so a lot of people are trying to soothe themselves. But in, if you use social media to do that, instead of bringing relief, it generally brings regret because you kind of lift your eyes after 46 minutes and you kind of go, what am I doing? What a wicked waste of time, you know? So that's, that's why. I, and, and, and honestly, I don't even feel FOMO about social media on my phone anymore. I feel JOMO. I feel it's the joy of missing out. <laughs> And so it's a better life not having social media on my phone. It's Jomo. I am delighted to be missing out on all of that junk. I see it like a like when I go on Twitter. I, is X really gonna? I don't know if anybody's ever actually gonna call it X. Anybody. Anyway, Tom, time will tell. I guess I, I don't know. It's just yeah, that was a dumb move. I think the rebrand. Anyway, it's so funny because everyone says everyone says the same thing. They go X, formerly known as Twitter. I know. You know, like, or, it hasn't worked if you're saying that. When I say I tweeted something the other day, I didn't even say I X something the other. Day. That's just that's just so awkward. I, I can't. I, I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. Anyway, when when I go on, I look at it's it's look at Twitter. It's like a window into this oh this world that is not real or it's it has a the scent of realness it's kind of but it's it's its own thing and like right. when, when i go and i talk to my neighbor or i drive down the street or i go to this store or like go to the coffee like when i live a normal embodied life it just looks and feels and sounds so vastly different than this weird world of twitter that's filled with mostly real people and some you know russian bots or whatever you know and it's hard to sometimes tell the difference um but it's like it, every time I go in, it just feels like it's just like, is this why am I even here? Like you you get yeah. angry within seconds. Everybody's yelling and screaming. It's the same people over and over. There was that study that came out. That I think it yeah, I think it said something like 25. I don't quote me on this. 25 percent of people of Americans have a Twitter account, but like 80 or 90 percent. Or no, like seven percent of users are responsible for like ninety percent of the tweets or whatever. So you, you, yes, yes. You're, you're you're this world. Everyone else is just watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like Every- all these voices represent like a tiny percentage of actual humanity, and then and there's people that think like this is the real. This is like a mirror of the real world. I'm like it's actually not, not at all. Like it's just you know. Yeah, it's 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 honestly it's it's like a modern day Roman Colosseum, right? It's getting <laughs> people to fight with each other for the entertainment of everyone else. Oh, and, just, yeah. and so, so the, the, the social media companies are incentivized to get people fighting. Fighting is what is what breeds, you know, traffic and an audience and entertainment. And then they sell advertising as a result of that. But I mean, it's, it's t- Twitter, especially Twitter is a cesspool, bro. I, I don't think I have ever gone on Twitter and felt better afterwards. <laughs> so we all and we all know that. Like that's that's such a well-known thing. And yet, do do people that are so active and they just kind of live their life on? Do they not know it, or they just don't care, or it's just so funny? Like I want to tell people, like you know, we all joke about you, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. Well, I I mean, s- some people are uh, they just thrive on conflict. Yeah, and so they they really love it, you know. Um, and other people make a living from Twitter, you know. I mean, they're, they're all different, right? Twitter, Twitter is, it seems to be a lot more anger. Instagram is 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 decimating teenage girls. Yeah, you know the research is in. It's interesting. Uh, up until about 2020, there was not conclusive research on the impact of social media on society, particularly on teenagers. But that is not true anymore. There is now clear research 
there that 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 shows that social media especially is having very big impact on the mental health of teenage girls it's teenage girls and boys but girls the, the research is so specific and a lot of this is from uh cited by Jonathan Haidt mm-hmm. uh, he's one of the leading uh voices on on the impact of social media and society right now and he says that what is most dangerous is if a teenage girl goes through puberty with social media mm. that that sort of moment in time being accompanied by social media is is very very destructive so his whole thing is that there should be no social media before the age of 16 that w- that is his suggestion based on research and he says you should have a smartphone before 14 which is uh, you know high school uh, the first phone that a parent should give is not a smartphone now i didn't do this i i didn't this advice wasn't around uh when my kids were were entering these years mm-hmm. and so i did what a lot of people did that when my eldest daughter was old enough to be able to uh do after school sports or have sleepovers at friends houses I found an old iPhone in a junk drawer and I reactivated it and gave it to her, you know? Yeah. And so if I had my time over, I would give a flip phone, a dumb phone, a light phone, um, a, a gab phone. Like there are these other uh, devices that are out there. Uh, a child is going to be excited to get any kind of device, even to make phone calls and text. Let's not give them the most powerful piece of technology that's ever been created as their first device adults have a hard time regulating their behavior on these smartphones give them to to a child whose brain hasn't even developed yet it's it's sort of madness when you step back from it a little bit we we did no so we do no social media till 18 I I rarely, if ever, get parenting advice unless people drag it out of me. I just parenting such a it's so hard. It's so hard. It's a wild west, and every kid's different, every adult's different, every dynamic's different. So I just I resist saying all parents should do this, or whatever. Except for mm-hmm. this one, this is one area, and I don't want to shame right. parents that like kind of like you, you said, like gosh, I. I've already down that whole rabbit hole and I can't go back. And it is hard to go back. You give me Instagram and take it away a year later. That that'd be a lot harder. And and I, you know, but the one parenting advice I would say is if, you know, before your te- kids are teenagers, don't give them social media. This episode is sponsored by Green Chef. Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit company that delivers whole food for your whole body. They're committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to your body's overall well-being. Look, I'm the first one to admit eating healthy isn't easy. I you know, I try to eat as healthy as I can, but I literally put down seven, seven Jack in the Box tacos the other night, which I'm pretty sure took off about, oh, a year and a half of my life. I mean, those things are so stinking good. So I need to take time to integrate healthier patterns of eating, and I'm sure you do too. This is why I'm excited about Green Chef. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. And they actually have new gut and brain health meal plans that include a whole bunch of different nutritious dinners, uh, clean snacks, and functional drinks crafted to actively support the well-being of your gut and enhance cognitive health. I could use a bit of that. These nutrient-dense gut and brain health recipes are developed in partnership with registered dietitians, and they actually improve digestion, reduce bloating, and also boost energy and immunity. So I invite you to ditch the tacos and orange chicken and try out Green Chef. Just go to greenchef.com forward slash 60 TITR and use the code 60 TITR to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's, that's a crazy good deal. 60% off. Again, go to greenchef.com forward slash 60 TITR and use the code 60 TITR. This whole digital fast thing you have, you know, it, 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 in, ter- in terms of you as an individual, you're becoming passionate about this. You're seeing the dangers and you want to like help, you know, for your own <laughs> individual soul, you want to do this. How do you do this 
at a mega church? <laughs> like, how, how do you get, I mean, you have what, like 10,000 people on average that would attend a Sunday service here at church? Is it, would that be, so yeah, how do you get a decent percentage of that population to go 40 days on a digital fast? Can you just, maybe just take us back. When, when did you do this and how did it go? Did you get pushback? What was the feedback like? And So uh, we did it for the first time last year in uh, May. Uh, we're actually currently doing it right now uh, for a second time uh, in the season of Lent leading up to Easter. So um, I didn't get I didn't get significant pushback. I mean, obviously, people can participate or not participate. I'm not monitoring their apps or anything like that. But I was I was definitely trying to be persuasive that if not now, then when? You know, almost every person I would say. If you've ever have you ever done a digital fast, almost every person says the same thing. No, but I need to. <laughs> and so then my thing is like, well, it's easier to do it if we do it together. So join us, you know, and and give people guidance on on what to do. Some people don't watch television at all either, um, and so this sort of like get off all of the screens. It depends on what people do for a living as well. I mean, most people uh, are going to need to do email for their job. I take email off of my phone for the digital fast. I have no email on my phone right now. That was the most anxiety-producing thing to begin with for me. Uh, and that is because I feel like I get, I get a ton of email, and most people do. And, and I thought, man, if I don't check this multiple times a day, if I'm not doing inbox maintenance, then by the time I sit down to look at email, you know, I'm going to have so many in there and it's just going to take me forever and I'm going to be late responding to people and all that. And for me, that has proven not to be true. Um, it is so much more efficient because we all get emails. We, we get spam emails. We get newsletters that we may or may not be interested in reading. Uh, we get sales things. We get people that are just sending stuff. FYI, you don't even need to respond. Well, imagine highlighting all of those at the same time and hitting delete rather than checking your inbox 65 times a day, every time you stop to do something, you just flip it open and you, and you check it. It's actually way more efficient to check email like yeah. twice a day rather than yeah. 60 times a day. So that, that ended up being really helpful. The way I persuaded people to do it, the way I invited people to do it really was to show the impact of smartphones on our society. And no one's yeah. disagreeing with me, yeah. No, yeah. you know? A hundred percent of people who do it are glad they did. No one's going, man, I really wish that I, I really miss all those hours um, scrolling on reels, you know, like I, like no one misses that stuff. It's, it's, it's like eating clean. It's like not eating junk food. You know, when you, when you don't eat junk food and everyone else is afterwards, you're like happy with your decision. You're not, you're not feeling like you missed out, no. you know? What is this is what boggles my mind is we all know that it's it's stealing our joy. It is not good for our mental or spiritual or even physical health, because I think it's all intertwined. Um, we all know we've all seen the social dilemma. We know that we are like pawns in a <laughs> in a greater machine that's, you know, is using us for our, it's using our fear and our attention for the sake of somebody else's pocketbook. Like we, we know all these things and yet we, and we're all like, yeah, I haven't done it, but I should. I, I've said it, dude. I said, you know, right. and even, you know, earlier we we're talking about Twitter. Like there's times when I get sucked into that vortex, even though I know it's not the real world, you know? Right. So, um, right. Why, why are we, is it just, this is the nature of addiction. This addictions often, um, win out when it comes to willpower versus something that's really addictive. It's just most times the addiction is going to win out or wh why don't we do? I, I think it's a number of things. I mean, I can explain it from scripture and I can explain it from <laughs> science. So scripture, I think it go all the way back to Genesis two and three. Let's go back to the fall. The lie was you can be like God, right? And so God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. God is, God is all present. He is all knowing and he's all powerful, right? A smartphone technology simulates these attributes. You see, 
you get all of this knowledge, right? You get knowledge of what's happening all over the world. You get knowledge of what's happening with your friends that you went to high school with. You, you, you like you, you used to have your relational world used to be for almost all of human history. It has been your family or the village that you're in or the tribe that you're in. But what's happened is because of social media, because things like Facebook, you accumulate from different eras of your life, all of these relationships and to try to maintain them is exhausting. Having all this information is exhausting. It's, it's trying to be God, but you're not God. So that's just the knowledge side. The, the all present side is, you know, your physical location has never been less relevant in history than it is right now. I can hmm. send my brother who lives in Australia a text and he gets it instantly. I can send a picture of what I'm doing. You know, like these, these devices give us an ability to be able to see certain things that, and we're not even there. You can check cameras and security cameras and all that kind of stuff. It gives a, it gives a, an extension. It gives an illusion of omnipresence. And then there's so much power with these devices as well. There's power to cancel people on social media. There's power to control technology in your home. You open your garage door, you board an airplane, you start your car, you know, like, so we have, we, we become powerful as uh, Andy Crouch calls it magic. We have this magic. Uh, with these devices. The reason that these are having a detrimental impact on our mental health is that there is a temptation going all the way back to the fall to try to be like God, but we're not God. And trying to be like God when you're not God mm. is exhausting. That's, I think that that is part of it. I think secondarily, like I mentioned earlier, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy He's stealing our time. He's killing our relationships. He is destroying the peace that we have, and he's using it through a device. So I, I think there's a legitimate uh, opposition. The enemy is using this. And the enemy is legitimately killing children, by the way. The, the numbers of suicide that come from a result of a, a new kind of crime called financial sextortion. Financial sextortion is the idea that someone impersonates a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they reach out to an underage child, they trick them into sending explicit photographs or video content, then they extort them for money. And then when uh, they, they don't have the money or they can't pay or whatever, these kids have killed themselves. Uh, th there was a, a judicial hearing recently where they had the social media company's CEOs there. And there was a bunch of families holding up photographs of their kids that have taken their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really awful. It's devastating, literally taking our kids. Uh, from, a, from a science standpoint, social media uses the same uh, scientific algorithms as slot machines in casinos. Mm. It's called the variable ratio schedule. That's what the technology is called. The the pulling down on a slot machine and the clicking, hitting refresh on your phone, it's the same action. Oh, wow. But what it is, is it's not that it's that the results are predictable, it's that it's unpredictable. And that's what makes it addictive. So just like walking away from a slot machine, you have that conscious thought like, what if the next time I pulled on that arm, I was going to be a millionaire and I missed it. And people keep doing that. Well, the same thing is true with content on social media. It's like, Man, I, I just saw, you know, some magic trick on an Instagram reel. And then I'm looking and I'm seeing someone hang gliding. And then I'm seeing someone, a clip from Seinfeld. And then I click and I see something, you know, it's just, it's the variable ratio schedule. It is all of this content that is that the algorithms from the social media companies have specifically designed to be the most tempting to your particular feed. It is it is designed to exploit your weaknesses individually. No two feeds are the same. Yeah. The one that you will have will be the most tempting for you. Then just add that to the fact that we have these devices with us all the time, all the time. And it's, it's just far too tempting to be able to regulate. That is true of adults and that is true of children. That's the eeriest thing. Like when I go on Instagram, I swear, and I, 
I will have had a conversation with somebody about visiting an island or something that I've, I've never searched. I've never, I haven't actually typed anything yes. in and I will get advertisements. Yes. yes. That's related to something that I had a conversation about. And I just talked to a buddy of mine and they said, Oh yeah, you can hear you. I mean, it's, it, it, it knows what you're talking about. And that, it's, that, that's terrifying. It's terrifying. It? And it's, it's angry because I, I just, I don't like, I'm the type of, probably a lot like you would, you know, like, I don't like to be put in a box. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, don't use me as part of like some cog in your wheel. Like, but I, I get sucked in, but I am being used, you know? And and luckily because of most course. of my doom scrolling is like surfing videos and, and otters on Instagram. So right now, if I, I've got to pull it up right now. <laughs> no, yeah. If, if I went to my search, I've got, oh, a bunch of Dodgers too. Cause the season's going to start up here. Yeah. Tons of Shohei Otani. Um, Actually, it's mostly Dodgers now. There's some health stuff. No, it's pretty much all Dodgers. <laughs> it used to be all surfing. And then the last like few weeks, I've been like looking at more Dodgers stuff. And now it's all, there's some boxing videos. That's weird. Taylor Swift, which she, I think Taylor Swift's probably on everybody's feed. Anyway. Um, but yeah. that's so, yeah, it, it is following, it is trailing me. Like, who are you? Like, what, yes. how dare you? Right, right. <laughs> So, so it is a it is an unfair strategy, right? I mean, like it, they're they're playing dirty. With yeah, and, and we'll know and it. It's not hidden. Outcome, this is not hidden. This is no, no. And, and and the outcome is, you know, I was watching my daughter play volleyball uh, a few weeks ago, and when I walked in to the 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 room where she was playing, I looked up on the bleachers, and every single yeah parent was phones. staring at a phone mm. and you know i, I don't say that to shame people no, I've, been there. I've, like, been I've, I've, I've been one of those parents too yeah. and I, I've, I've been one of those parents too so something as big as this it's difficult to know what to do and and so i'm suggesting a digital fast is a good start because it will reboot your relationship with technology and so the digital fast book is is really it's 40 days. It's four movements of 10 days. The first 10 days is detach. And we're like helping people detach from their devices. And, and what invariably happens, you delete all this distraction stuff off their phone. And it's a little unpleasant. I mean, it is, it is some form of addictive behavior. And it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like you, if you're withdrawing from sugar or alcohol or something else, um, it's it's uncomfortable before it gets better. Mm-hmm. So the first ten days is detach, and uh, we have devotionals in the book that walk through all forty days, helping sort of guide people through it. The second ten days is discover, and what will happen is when you are when you are detached from your device, you will discover all kinds of things that you've not noticed. And so it's like. Mm. It's like rebooting your senses, mm. you know. Uh, all of a sudden, you you smell things, you see things, you taste things, you you feel things differently, um, and you you pay more attention to yourself. How you doing? These these devices have us so numb. When someone says to you, "How you doing?" or "How you really doing?" a lot of us, the answer is like, "I, I don't know. Mm. I, I have no idea. I don't have." enough discretionary thought to check in with myself to even know how I'm doing. So you, you learn more about yourself. You learn more about the relationships. You sort of reawaken to the people around you. And, and I think there's a really a great opportunity to, to turn up the voice of God as well. When you're turning down the distraction of these devices, you can turn up the voice of God. And, uh, and it really becomes a spiritual practice. So that's, so it is, it is detach, discover. The third 10 days is delight. And generally, after you're in this about 20 days, you start to prefer it. It becomes delightful. I remember last time I did this, my uh, 13-year-old daughter was jumping on the trampoline and she wanted me to come watch her. And at this point, I wasn't even carrying my phone around with me anymore. I used to carry it around with me everywhere. I had it in a drawer and I had it closed, you know. And so I went outside and there was – it was an – it was an amazing experience. It was like my senses had all been reset. I could feel the grass under my feet. I could look and see that the sun was about to set. It was about 70 degrees. It was a cool breeze. The air smelled sweet. 
And I could just hear the squeal and the delight in my, in my daughter as she was bouncing up and down and flipping and saying, watch me, daddy. Mm. And I had this conscious thought, this is a better life. It's better. So that's the, the third movement is delight. The fourth movement is determine. You need to determine what things are going to look like after you get through this season. And that's the Marie Kondo. It's, it's what am I going to bring back after these 40 days? What is the result? So you did this last May with your church. Yeah. Do you know what general percentage of people in your church uh, did it or attempted I, to do it? I, I, I have no way of knowing percentage-wise. I, I can say anecdotally thousands of people did it, and they did a variation of it. Okay. You know, Some people threw away their smartphone for the entire month and bought a flip phone nice. or bought, bought a light phone and used a different kind of phone. Thousands of people did it. No one says they don't need to do it, which is really interesting yeah. for me. What, what also is interesting is there's sort of two groups of people who reflect since doing it. Uh, one, the first group, uh, I'm amazed that in three days, I put all the stuff back on my phone and I'm equally as absorbed in it again. Sort of like, this is so addictive. My habits were great for that. 40 days, but now I am submerged in this stuff again, right? So that's that's the first group. It's sort of like you do a digital detox and then they have a digital retox and and they've got it all back in. But a surprisingly large group of people have permanently adopted some things as a result of the digital fast. For example, lots of people have not put social media back on their phone. Okay. Wow. And and a lot of people didn't put email back on their phone. I put email back on my phone and I have a love-hate relationship with email, mainly hate, but uh, maybe it's a hate-hate relationship. But I, particularly when I'm traveling and I've got to pull up details and all of that kind yeah. of stuff, it's not easy to not have email. So generally what I do, I have an iPhone and I've deleted all the apps I can delete. And then there's two apps I can't delete, email and Safari. And so I go into screen time and I turn those off so I can't even see them. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, I didn't know you yeah. could do that. You can turn off so we you can't can see. It. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are certain – the email would be tough. There are I, – I, you know, John Mark Comer, mutual friend, I think he checks his email once a week or something. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know if I email on Tuesday, but, I'm not going to get a response until next week. You know, if that, but. Well, and he's not much better on, on uh, <laughs> texting either. But what's funny is that all of us who are friends with him know that. Yeah. He's been, so, you know, like if I text him and I don't hear back for three days, yeah. I'm not even surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. But even he would say like, I know there's certain people that, um, they have certain jobs where that's just that's not possible. There there has been several times when, you know, whether I was away from my computer or something, and there was just some last like some not crisis, but like I needed to email this like today. Otherwise, it was other people were going to be really affected with work. You know, so there are yeah, there are t- that'd be hard for me to permanently delete like email, other things. You know, obviously, it's social media could definitely get away with that, you know. Um, and I go back and forth. I'll delete them from my phone and put them back on. I kind of had this, you know, back and forth. And yeah, yeah. for me, it's the information. I just like, and we talked about this last time we talked about this topic, but, uh, you know, for me, it's the it's the information. It's being in the know. It's, and which could be like, you know, it could be Twitter. Like, well, hey, what's the, what's the latest kind of like blow up on, on Twitter or, you know, what's going on in the news or what's going on, you know, or how much, you know, how far do birds fly south for the winter? You know, you know, I'm constantly just, <laughs> just random information. My mind constantly just have all these right. questions and I'm like, you know, how many steps did I take today? And when is my next flight? It's just, yeah. but even that can be just, just that kind of, well, you said like that, just that, that endless flood of information can be, addictive even if it's not just doom scrolling even that even that can be super addictive you know um that's that's right with the i think i struggle the most with so the 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 book is going to help it helps people um is this primarily for like church leaders to do this with their church is that your kind of your primary audience um i want people to do it as a church because i think that the church is uniquely positioned to lead society at large with this and it's easier to do it as a church So um, the book is not written to church leaders. The book is written to Christians. Okay. I mean, it is, it is making the case for why we should do this. It's describing what it is 
and how to do it. And then there's a 40 day daily guide okay. on, yeah. on devotionals and, and so forth as you make your way through it. Yeah. And then there's a guide on how you create your own digital rule of life coming on the other side of it. Like, what does that look like? Give some guidance on all of that as well. So, uh, it's not written to pastors. It's written to believers. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, we, we gave a book out to every person for free in my church. Um, and so that they could participate for the season of Lent. We just gave them away. That's a lot of free books to your publisher. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we had a donor who really believes in this. I hmm. said that they wanted to, hmm. they wanted to pay for it. So that's oh, what we awesome. did. Awesome. My buddy, uh, Evan Wickham pastors a church out in San Diego. He, he's because of your book. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know if it's, I think he was, it was something he was already interested in. Your book came at the perfect time. So he's taking this church, I think for Lent actually right now through, through the 40 days. So yeah. Well, yeah. Well, dude, thanks so much for being on the show again, man. Always love talking with you. And I really hope people will uh, take this seriously. Um, I'm already convicted just by talking to you again. I feel like I'm constantly, <laughs> it's, it, I, I go back and forth. It's like, I know it's not helpful for me. And I go through periods of time where I'm disciplined and other periods of time where I'm weak and I'm not disciplined. And so it's just a, yet another good reminder to let's pursue joy. Let's pursue delight. Let's pursue human flourishing. You know, and we know that being addicted to our phones is not producing that. So. We, we've built this into the into the rhythm of our, our church. Uh, you know, annually, we're doing this now. It's sort of like, it's not sort of a one and done. I feel like people need to do this every year, yeah, you know? absolutely. So we're choosing the season of Lent, but you could do it in the summer. You could do it in January. You could do it in the fall. You could do it anytime you want, really. But uh, we're, we're using Lent as a season to turn down distraction and turn up the voice of God as we get ready for Resurrection Sunday. That's awesome. Awesome, man. All right, dude. Thanks for being on the show, man. Really appreciate you. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. 